welcome to the Joyful Nourishment Podcast, a place for conversations around all things food, eating, body image and nourishment. Here we'll explore and unpack all the things that gets in the way of us having a kind, compassionate relationship with food and eating in our bodies and also how we can find our way back to joyful nourishment in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Lynn Thorstensen, a registered nutrition therapist and body image coach based in the west of Ireland, and I am so glad that you're here. Today, I wanted to talk about a topic that I find so incredibly fascinating when it comes to a relationship with food and eating in particular. And this is what I have decided to call this. Um, it's like the, man, the many facets of hunger. And I'm going to explain a little bit what I mean by that. And I suppose I do want to say that this is something that I have both observed in my clinical practice over the years, but that I, these are concepts that I originally learned from um, Jan Chosen Bay's work and her book, Mindful Eating. And also it is something that um, one of my mentors that I trained with many years ago, Diana Minnick, talked about in her um, food and spirit concept. And I've also heard both Mark David and Anita Johnson talk about these different concepts. So we talk a lot about physical hunger and the importance of honoring physical hunger. And I'm going to talk about that today as well. But then I just wanted us to move like a little bit wider and start thinking about other facets of hungers, other hungers that sometimes we are trying to meet with food, but where food isn't really what we're looking for. And how we can sort of, I suppose, move towards a place to distinguish, am I nourishing physical hunger or am I rejecting that or depriving myself or my body when it's asking for food but also what are the time when are the times that I'm trying to like I'm hungry for something but actually it's not food and what can happen when we're meeting trying to meet these hungers with food is that it feels like it's a it's insatiable satiable is that how you say it um we just don't ever feel satisfied because the the food the physical food is not really the right match for the need we're trying to meet so let's talk about that a little bit more and maybe this is I don't know maybe this is new to you maybe just something you've never thought about or maybe um there's going to be things in here today that's going to resonate with you so I wanted us to sort of explore a little bit around the difference as of Hunger is some of them that are in the physical realm, but also what are the emotional, spiritual hungers that we, you know, that we might also want to try to, to meet and, and satisfy and where physical food is a try as we might, it's not going to be a good match. And as um, usual, I want to leave you as well with some ideas and practical tools that you could try out. And I am going to um, give some self-explorative questions to check in as we are going through this conversation. So just inviting you to pause and checking in to notice what is happening in your body and hopefully like planting some seeds that is going to help you distinguish between physical hunger and other hungers that are non-physical but nonetheless very valid and important to attend to as part of our human experience. So in preparation for this, I went and looked for the Merriam-Webster definition of hunger. And they say that the definition of hunger is either a craving or an urgent need for food or a specific nutrient. And it's also an uneasy sensation occasioned by the lack of food. So we often feel hungry when we haven't eaten for a while and where our bodies are starting to ask for food. It's completely normal. And over time, hunger can also be um, 
said as a weakened condition brought by a prolonged lack of food. You know, so of course, we're going to get hungrier and hungrier the longer we go without food. And we're going to probably most likely be weakened as a result. And then hunger can also be a strong desire at the same as a craving. And I'm not going to talk about craving in depth today, I think, but it's something that I really want to come back to. Maybe I'll do a short voice note on it. Maybe eventually I'll do a bigger podcast on cravings on their own and, and just take some time to do some more research around them. But we'll we'll just talk about hunger as a as a broader concept than cravings today. You might have heard that we have different types of hungers, and I alluded to this already in the introduction of today. So we have physical hunger, which is what we often talk about in terms in the in the intuitive eating space, in the non-diet space, in the mindful eating space that you know can be attuned to our physical hungers can we honor and meet it in a, an appropriate way which tends to be with food but we also have emotional hungers we have something that is called mental hunger which is not the same as emotional hunger and i'll like i'll explain what that is and we have spiritual hungers and the way I think about spiritual hungers and spiritualities is that it's also something that we are probably most likely needing as part of a human experience. But for me personally, spirituality is not the same as organized religion. So what you call or put into the spiritual realm is entirely up to you. But I do think it is something that innately we are longing and looking for as humans. And sometimes if it's missing, we might um, try to satisfy that desire, that need to other ways that may not fill it. But anyway, um, so the nine hungers then that Jan Chosen Bayes talks about in her book, Mindful Eating, is kind of an expansion of these physical, emotional, and spiritual hungers. So she talks about eye hunger and touch hunger and air hunger and nose hunger and mouth hunger and stomach hunger. She talks about cellular hunger, mind hunger, and heart hunger. And the two last ones, mind hunger and heart hunger, are more of these that are connected to the spiritual and emotional connection. Well, we're going to dive into some of those. The other thing that I was also thinking about as part of today's conversation is really this mention and recognition that diet culture makes hunger bad. That being hungry or having an appetite, whether that's a physical appetite or an appetite for life, taking up space, um, is something that has become a bad thing. And diet culture is constantly telling us and reinforcing that being hungry or wanting things for ourselves or meeting our needs is a bad thing. And also that, you know, because when we're doing that, we're seen as gluttonous, out of control, and what else? Kind of, you know, undesirable. So it's kind of an interesting one. And I think if we were diving deeper into diet culture, the history of diet culture, we know that it has roots in racism, in purity culture, in religion, and in oppressive structures in the patriarchy. That is the structures that are designed for control of populations. So from that lens, I think it kind of makes sense. But if we've internalized this message that being hungry and needing food to take care of ourselves, so like that meeting that very basic human need of food, that that somehow makes us inherently bad or wrong or out of control, our bodies being out of control. I think we'd have to sort of sit back and think about, okay, but is that really true? Your physical body 
has an ongoing request for food as nourishment, simply just to function and exist. So my question is like, what if it wasn't bad? What if being hungry or what if having desires and seeking pleasure in ways that felt life, that feels or felt life affirming? What if that wasn't a bad thing? What if that was actually part of, of embracing our human experience and in ways that are enriching it? So one of the things that I often talk about with my clients, particularly people who are struggling with binge eating, emotional eating, overeating, and feeling out of control around food is this diet deprivation binge cycle. And I wish that I could put a graphic up in front of you here, because I think the visual representation of this really, really helps. And I probably will try to link to some kind of graphic somewhere or insert it somewhere or I don't know, we'll work it out or just go and Google the diet deprivation binge cycle and you see a vast array of different iterations of what I'm about to explain. So we have this inbuilt physiological mechanism that is helping us to stay alive, that if food hasn't been available for a while, when it becomes available, we are designed to eat quicker more of it because from our body's perspective it does it's not sure when food is going to be available again because it's just had this experience of lack of food um accessibility or if it's prolonged a sense of famine and this can be self-induced through dieting or it is can be a lived experience of food insecurity but when we are trying to control our food intake through dieting and we're not eating enough because we're trying to manipulate our body size, for example, it is not the binge eating or the overeating that is what's the, 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 at the root cause. It's the restriction that's at the root cause. So what tends to happen is at some point, we start restricting whether that's for whatever reason it can be because you want to control your weight you want to feel better in your body or you're just simply trying to be quote-unquote healthier so you start taking out some food groups or you start reducing the amount of food you're eating and when your body gets to a place where it's experiencing not having enough or just as a normal part of everyday life like we eat the food we're not hungry over a period of time, our body would have processed the food and used up the energy that was available in the food and the nutrients and so forth. And then it's going to be hungry again because it's running out of fuel. A bit like on a very crude level, like fueling up your car. You don't just fuel up your car once and then never expect to do it again because if you're driving around, you're going to spend fuel. And the difference between our human bodies and the car is that if you fill up the tank of your car and you let it sit in the driveway, the tank is going to be full next time you're going to get the car. But our bodies are living, working beings and they expend energy all the time, even if you're simply sitting on the couch or having a snooze or sleeping. So we are constantly expending energy, expending energy by simply being alive which means we're going to have to eat on a regular basis, day in, day out. So when we don't do that, or if you've gone for a while without, without food, you're going to be hungry. And if you're trying to ignore it for a while, it's a bit like if you're trying to ignore your bladder, it's sending you signals that it's full and you need to go to the bathroom to empty it. If you wait long enough, it's going to start to feel really uncomfortable. And then there might be this sense of panic setting in. And whether that is that, that your bladder desperately needs to be emptied or that your body is desperately asking for food. When you get access to the food or to the bathroom, it's going to feel like such a relief, but it, there's also going to be a strong sense of urgency underneath that. The energy of it is like really urgent. So when this happens from when we are, when we have say restricted or even gone for like half the day without food, and okay, sure, it doesn't happen to everybody, but for, for a lot of people, 
when they have, say, had a small lunch and they come home from work and they're just so hungry and they're starting eating all around them while they're cooking and preparing dinner. And this can feel like a loss of control, like binge eating, like overeating, like we don't have any willpower. But a big part of this, what's driving this, is physiology that we're trying to fight or override. But what tends to happen, particularly if this is self-induced or we have all these internal narratives that, you know, eating too much is bad is bad or makes us bad, that we then feel guilty or we have feelings of shame and frustration and anger. And those emotions can add on another layer of continued eating as a result of feeling like that to feeling like we blew the diet. So we might as well have had a couple of biscuits because I was hungry or stressed or whatever. And now my diet is ruined, so I might as well eat the whole package. And somewhere along the lines on that trajectory, our fear, weight gain, or the, the counter action to feeling out of control is to try to tighten the control more. And we're finding ourselves back in restriction and then back on the same cycle. So this is why when we're trying to heal a relationship with food from binge and emotional eating, we really have to heal the restriction. So that's something that I do want to talk more about. I've written about it. And again, like I say, go and look at the diet deprivation binge cycle. Because we tend to think about eating disorders and only restrictive eating disorders as restrictive eating disorders. But all eating disorders have some sort of restrictive element. And when the restriction is coming back to this backlash eating, then it's the restriction by focusing on lessening the sense of restriction or the actual restriction and making sure that you're eating enough food is going to have a profound impact of how your body's responding the next time food is becoming available. And this is a process and is it can take for sometimes for some people a long time, depending on how long the sense of restriction or the experience of restriction has been. So it's important to, to hold that, I think, and to realize that being hungry is normal and natural part of being a human being with a physical body. It's not something that's bad. But diet culture told us that it's bad. So my next question to you then here, and I'd like you to pause and think about this. Like, how do you know that you're hungry? What are the things? I think sometimes we just know. Might hear ourselves saying, oh, you know, I really need to eat something now. Or um, maybe it's the cue of like, it's the time that you normally have lunch. Or it's the cue of food or a smell that is, you know, triggering the sensations in your stomach. But what are the things that cue you that it's time to eat? And for some people, these signals are very, very faint. And that's okay too. It just means that if that is something that you resonate with, actually bringing in some structural eating to make sure that your body's getting adequately fed anyway um, is really important because The absence of feeling physical hunger doesn't mean that your body doesn't need food, right? It still needs to get fed, even if the cues from your body to your brain is lagging or is a little bit, is very faint. It still needs to get fed. And sometimes by doing that on purpose, regularly with some structure can really help making the physical signals a little bit louder so we might think about like you know lightheadedness or feeling hangry or irritable or loud growling noises in our stomach as you know hunger cues but those can be hunger cues that are quiet later on like when we're getting to a place where we're actually really hungry one of the first cues that tends to happen is when we that we are thinking about food a lot. And I just find this so interesting because I see a lot of people that are saying, I'm constantly thinking about food. I'm thinking about it all the time. 
And why is that? And often that is because you're not eating enough. And when I sat and thought about this for myself, I was like, yeah, I used to think about food all the time. Even when I thought my relationship with food was quite good. Because 10 years ago, I had a food blog and I used to think it was so exciting to come up with new recipes and new combinations, which, which it was. But I have noticed over time that I don't have any creativity for, for cooking or experimenting in the kitchen if I've just eaten or if I'm consistently eating, you know, enough and regular and doesn't and don't get let myself get too hungry. It's like, oh, that's it's not that interesting to be thinking about food because it's not a necessity. So I just think that's kind of uh, interesting. But a, a sure sign is that if you're thinking about food all the time that is your brain's way of telling the whole of you that the body isn't getting enough nourishment it's not getting enough food and then of course as we get hungry and hungry and we're trying our best to we're trying to override our physical hunger we might end up with headaches shakiness feeling really anxious having a lack of energy being hangry and other things that I've also noticed that people say as they're increasing their food intake is that their headaches went away. They have more energy. They have better power and ability to concentrate. They actually don't feel as anxious. They have more capacity to deal with their emotions or the emotions don't feel so overwhelmed. So that way I was telling us that if our brains, not just our bodies, but the brains as well, which require a lot of energy to function well, if they don't have enough, are just not going to function as well. So it, it has made me think about that a lot of the things that we see and when we are maybe, you know, focusing on energy and stuff that it's so important to start from that very basic place. Am I eating enough food full stop? Am I eating enough? Do is the food I'm eating giving me energy, my body, my brain, so that I can function well? And often we actually need more food than we think, which is another thing that's really interesting. But just maybe something more to think about. And connected to physical hunger, strangely enough is this concept called mental hunger and mental hunger tends to happen when somebody's been in a semi-starvation state for a long time or after prolonged times of insufficient eating a mental hunger is thinking about food all the time and it feels really sort of insatiable like it's just it's it's intense and what's really important to note is that what we call mental hunger, and I put quotation marks here, is actually something that has physiological roots. It's very common when people are healing from a restrictive eating disorder like anorexia nervosa. But even if somebody has been chronically dieting for a long time on and off, so chronically under eating, but maybe not to the extent where it would fit a diagnostic criteria, but if you are feeling like the hunger, it just is bottomless. No, and even though this is, I know this is so uncomfortable, is that it has physiological roots. And the way we heal mental hunger is through eating, consistent, adequate eating. Maybe not what you want to hear, but it does work. It really does work. And if working through the mental barrier, of allowing that to happen is kind of the challenge. But mental hunger, the, the cure, if you like, for that is always going to be food because it is actually, even though it's called mental, it has strong physiological roots. It's a, something that happens when the brain has been and the body has been in this semi-starvation state because of insufficient eating over a long period of time. We talk about phys physical hunger, mental hunger, which actually is connected to physical hunger. But then there's emotional hunger. And you might have heard me in some context or written about the difference between deprivation-driven eating and emotional eating. And 
what I talked about when I talked about the deprivation, um, the diet deprivation binge cycle is really that deprivation driven eating that happens of the from the physical restriction or even the mental restriction of like not allowing ourselves to have certain foods. And that's a little bit different to emotional hunger. And I, I call it true emotional hunger. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get into the nine, the nine hungers when we're expanding on this is that true, what I call true emotional hungers is hunger that is a desire that comes from an emotional place. So like eating to sue difficult emotions like sadness or even anger what we might eat to numb out or to feel something. And that I, I think that's what most of us think about when we think about emotional eating or we think about binge eating, that it is eating in response to emotions that are difficult to deal with or that we're lacking other tools or practices to, to be with. Or we are in a place where we need to build up our capacity to be able to be witness and be with these um, more stronger emotions and it's also important in to bring in like emotional eating in the sense that a lot of eating is emotional like we eat to celebrate we eat for the pleasure of food and eating we eat because it tastes good so we eat because it's part of how we connect with other people and that there's nothing wrong with that I think that's just a really important part of eating too and that that's if we want to talk about the medicine in food that this is a medicine too that this way of eating and allowing the food to bring this bring us joy and pleasure and connection is is equally important part of nourishment and that's also a kind of emotional eating and how I think about it is like that emotional eating is only problematic when we're eating in response to emotion in a way that is hurtful to ourselves. It's not necessarily like bad per se to eat something in response to emotion, but if it's, if it's how it's eaten and the volume that, and with the intention to hurt ourselves, then of course it is problematic and it's not helpful and nothing is enjoyable. Um, about that and this is where getting support and help to develop a different relationship with food is very valid and valuable and then we also have spiritual hunger and how this is how I define it for myself and maybe you have a different definition maybe you have a way of expanding on this but for me it's our spiritual hunger is a hunger is a longing for connection and it could be a connection with myself, it's a connection with others, and a connection means something that's larger than all of us. And there is a book that's called The Religion of Thinness. I don't have it in front of me because I gave away my copy to somebody. Um, but it's a really interesting book that kind of talks about how diet culture tells us that this longing for connection or for connection to some something greater than us or, or even within ourselves can be achieved through the religion of thinness. And it's a book written by a woman called Michelle Levica, who um, comes from a religious background and she's a scholar. And it's really, I think the work is really interesting and fascinating in this, that that sense of that innate sense to belong to something to belong to ourselves to belong to the world if we can't have that if we don't get that meat met somewhere the diet culture or the desire to be thin to fit in to belong or some like giving us a sense of purpose I suppose um can fill step in to fill that void so that's also something to I think hold but yeah, is that helpful? Is there other ways that we can find true belonging and true purpose for ourselves and our lives outside of something external? And I think uh, when we go on a journey of healing our relationship with food, eating in our bodies, a lot of this work in a kind of a, a larger 
context actually becomes about finding those very things that um you know if we leave diet culture behind well what are the things that I actually want to connect to how do I get to a place of connecting reconnecting back to myself and all of those things I think maybe this is a maybe that's a conversation conversations for a different time and I'm a little bit deeper into that because I again I think about this healing work as a way of coming home to ourselves that that's the very esoteric larger kind of overarching theme of this work but uh, in the trenches of course it can look um you know more nitty-gritty are you are you eating enough what's difficult with this how do I stop binge eating how can I be with this emotion what am I actually feeling all of those things so let's dive into the nine hungers then so we've talked about physical hunger mental hunger which is connected to physical hunger emotional hunger, spiritual hunger. And then in her book, Mindful Eating, and Jan Chosen Base expands on these. So she talks about eye hunger. And you probably have experienced eye hunger. It's like when you see something like a picture or, you know, in the early days of Instagram, it was just like a complete feast for the eyes with just seeing all these visual appealing plates and colors and textures. So Eye hunger can be a, a door in to, you know, to set up the sensors to, for our bodies to kind of notice, are we actually in a requirement for physical foods? But we can also satisfy our eye hunger by look like by creating visually appealing meals like around colors and textures and table settings and the ambience. But outside of food, we can also feed our eyes by taking in beauty whatever beauty is for you whether that is nature artwork gazing into the eyes of your loved ones whatever beauty looks like for you is a way of feeding your eye hunger this talks about nose hunger and nose hunger is connected to taste so smell equals taste in that sense and nose hunger, of course, is I, I noticed when I had COVID um, a few years ago that my sense of smell went for a while. I can't remember if it was for two weeks or something. And how much when I couldn't smell anything, which meant I couldn't really taste anything. I could just notice the textures, how important that sense of smell and taste was for my overall eating experience. It was like, it was like I could feel my body asking for food, but I really had no desire to eat because it was so boring and not particularly interesting. So it just made me realize and really appreciate like how important the taste experience is for my pleasure of eating. And maybe you've also had this experience if you go, say you're out in around town and you just send this from a bakery and stuff. And it's like, even if you're not that hungry, maybe you're just eaten, but it's like the senses of smells can just trigger something. And all of a sudden you can feel your mouth water or there might be smells of food, a sense of food that's bringing you back to a memory um, from your childhood, something that's positive or something that's negative. Um, it's just so interesting, I think, with how the smell um, and taste functions for our, um, for our experience with food. Uh, ear hunger is really about the sounds we connect to food and how and also how like noise and sound levels can affect how and how much we eat, as well as a perception of taste. So apparently that like it's been shown that loud noises can make us eat at a faster pace or even at a, a, a even more food so maybe loud music in a restaurant would make us eat quicker and more foods to be honest for me personally it's not something that I would um would make my eating experience very enjoyable there's another thing that I think about as well as this sense of ear hunger is this food thing so like you know all those ads where they're opening a, a can of like soda or coke or 
soft drink that we say here in Ireland and you hear that and it's like it's the noise and the noise of that or the sound of that opening has we have made these brain connections that that noise or that sounds means like a cold crispy tangy drink for example so including that in the ad that sound has just makes us think about the food much more and the association that sound has with you know taste experience we've had in the past so you know is there any kind of sounds that connect you to the food or evoke any desire to eat and maybe there's sounds that really puts you off as well like for some people like listening to other people chewing is like really irritating and for somebody else like they don't pay attention to that whatsoever so air hunger is is all about that sound and of course ways other ways of feeding our ears is to just pay attention to listening listening to sounds of nature listening to other people talking and just being a really attentive listener or feeding our ears sounds that is uh, pleasurable to you like music that you really like and of course that's completely um, subjective but that's another way we can feed our air hunger so it's nothing to do with food then we have mouth hunger and mouth hunger is often I think what's thought about when we talk about practicing mindful eating and this is paying a mouth hunger is about paying attention to the taste and sensations in the mouth what's happening in the mouth when you're eating and when we're eating more mindlessly and our attention is way elsewhere we're just not paying attention often we don't have that taste experience and we might eat things that we turns out we don't actually enjoy that much we don't enjoy the, the flavor of them all that much um and we might eat you know without thinking about it and it's like when we are paying less attention to our eating experience of what's happening in our mouth it's easier to just keep eating and it's almost like even if we've eaten um a, a volume of food that is like that gives us a sense of fullness that seems adequate it's almost like if our brain hasn't had that experience of being connected to our mouth hunger and the taste that it just hasn't really recognized or registered that we've got fed so being spending some more time being present with that experience so spending some time being more present with that experience can both help you to you know enjoy the food more enjoy the eating experience more but also help your brain kind of catch up between the like the nourishment from the food but also registering the experience that it's happening and then I think sometimes it's like I I'm for one I like I have I guess quite strong mouth hunger in the sense of of like the novelty of tasting things and just enjoying the pleasure of eating true taste it's so important like I said but if we are constantly wanting to put something in our mouth to kind of stimulate that it might be that we are looking for kind of a continuous hit and often what you might find is when you're paying attention to this is that some foods give you that excitement for the first few bites and then it peters out and it's just never repeated even if you're on the 10th or 20th crunch or crisps or a bite of whatever it's never as as exciting as the first one and by playing around with that you might notice that some foods are just worth for you, for the entire experience to eat four five six seven bites and that's kind of enough because it's not really about like um, physical nourishment. It's about pleasure and it's about the kind of pleasure nourishment, if that makes sense. So that's a bit about mouth hunger. And then stomach hunger is kind of what we often talk about, you know, we talk about physical hunger and it's just this hunger sensation coming from our stomach. 
And the thing here with stomach hunger is it is usually a particular reliable source um, to tell us when to eat, often because of dieting, restriction, or binging, or combination of all three. And often, I think, when we're noticing stomach hunger, we're usually already at a quiet um, high on the hunger scale at this point. So when I think it's more reliable, when you're starting to notice that your energy and concentration is maybe waning a bit and you're starting to think about food a lot, it's time to eat. So stomach hunger, we have it, but it's kind of not the most reliable one. And so expanding how you think about signs of physical hunger could be really helpful. Jen Chosenbez also talk about cellular hunger and she describes this as the body's need for macro and micronutrients. So macronutrients are fat, carbohydrates and protein and micronutrients are vitamins, minerals and phytonutrients, all of which the body means um, to function well. And cellular hunger can really sort of manifest as very particular cravings. So if you've been pregnant, this is something you might have experienced. Um, I know for, for myself, as somebody who sometimes, I think my iron levels get a little bit low, I do eat meat, but I don't eat it every day or, you know, I might eat it once a week or every so often. And once in a while, particularly around my period or just after, I can find myself having intense cravings for red meat. And this is like my body telling me that it needs the, the nutrients that is in the meat and eating it to satisfy that craving. And when I've had enough of it, could be once or it could be for a few days. It's like, okay, I'm not thinking about that anymore. So again, you know, it's not always accurate. And I think, you know, our bodies are very wise too. So if you, and if you are a vegan or vegetarian, you don't eat red meat and all of a sudden out of the blue, you start craving red meat, it might be a good time to get your bloods done and see, are you lacking in B12 or iron or something like that? So then when we're moving away from these more physical hungers that are connected to our physicality, to our physical bodies, we are moving towards the other three hungers that um, Jan Chosenbase also talk about. And one of them is touch hunger. And touch hunger is our human need for touch. And we can nourish our touch hungers through eating with our hands but we can also practicing receiving gentle, kind touch from ourselves. And, you know, one of the ways that I have found touch hunger, especially if some people have very little need for touch or they don't enjoy it or feels it's irritating or overwhelming. And other people have a real high need for touch. And I have two small dogs and I think I have a fairly high need for touch. And all through the years when I was living on my own and I was a single person, they have provided me with so much um, touch nourishment in, in ways by just being themselves and by just, um, you know, hanging around with me and sitting on my lap or just, you know, me petting them or scratching their bellies or whatever. So they have been very important for me for that. I think there's other ways we can also nourish our, our skin touch hunger. It could be through massage by somebody else for ourselves, skin lotions, but also, you know, like wearing clothes that feels comfortable on the skin. Being in the water might be helpful for some. So lots of things, but also something that's to recognize if you have a strong need for touch hunger and how it plays out and how are ways that you can take care of yourself from that. And then there's mind hunger. And mind hunger is really about the thoughts of the mind and ways that this can show up is 
judgment, um, criticism, numbing out. And the thing with mind hunger is that it's quite difficult to satisfy because the mind is always changing its mind. It wants this or it wants that. Or, But I think a way that we can take care of our mind hunger is really to let go of any shoulds and I suppose let go of ways we're always thinking that's just the nature of our minds but working towards letting go of some of the incessant looping and yeah taking care of our mind in in ways and I think reconnection connecting back to these other hungers that I just talked about like touch hunger mouth hunger, ear and eye hunger might also help to nourish our mind hunger, particularly if a mind is very busy and it's just not thinking helpful thoughts. And then there is the final one of the nine hungers that she talks about. It's that it's about heart hunger. So Heart hunger, I think it's such a beautiful concept. And it's, I think it's something I'd love to come back to and talk more about, particularly if we talk about heart hunger in relation to food cravings and emotional eating. But it's important to understand that food is connection. And we can really help nourish our hearts through food when we eat comforting foods. And that can be very helpful and it can also be only helpful momentarily it might not be helpful if what we're underneath that is really longing and craving is is human connection or connection to the natural world or connection to something that's greater than ourselves we can nourish our heart through foods but i do believe that it's only one piece and it's not going to be something that's going to fill our hearts um fully but it's 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 there and it's true and I think it's important to know and often we can crave foods that hold comforting um memories of kindness and care I've seen that over and over and I think it is definitely something that I would love to talk a bit more about and do a bit more um focused conversation around that but I would like to invite you to think about what are your comfort foods what are the things that you really like eating or that holds that you feel really nourished when you eat and nourished beyond just a physical nourishment but connected to maybe your heritage or your culture or to your sense of place or to people that care care about you or cared about you in the past what are those foods or foods that you're drawn to eat when you feel under the weather or when you just need some cheering up or just some kind of like a warm hug or something like that kind of food? What are those foods for you? And I would love to know. So we're coming towards the end of today's podcast episode. And one of the quotes that I keep coming back to over and over again is from Judith Matt's book called Beyond a Shadow of a Diet. And she says in that, and actually I'm, I'm not sure now, I'm thinking about it, does she quote somebody else? But anyway, the quote from the book is, each time we eat, we are conveying an important message to ourselves that we have needs and that these needs can be met in a reliable fashion. So by taking care of our hungers is that's like the core of the self-care practices that's core of like reaffirming to ourselves that we have needs and that these needs can be met in a reliable fashion and that we're worthy of taking care of it's kind of um it, it's a way that we build body trust with our bodies and particularly if we've been disconnected from them for a long time. So by doing these acts, by eating regularly or by eating something that's giving you comfort or pleasuring your eyes with beautiful images or beautiful sounds, you're taking care of yourself and you're reaffirming to all of you, to the whole of you that you matter, you matter, 
and you're worthy of, of care and kindness and love and support. So food can meet our needs and eating in this can be a form of self-care and thinking about is this a nourishing act or is it a punishing act? And food can be either or, like the same type of food can be nourishing or it can be punishing depending on the context and the intention behind it. So the food itself is just food, it's more nutrient. It's the intention behind it that makes it nourishing or punishing. So I think I'm going to actually wrap it up here. Um, there's more to say in this topic. I do want to come back to it. But I think that this conversation has been long enough. And I would love for you to share some of your favorite comfort foods, if you like, with the community. I would also love if there was, um, if there's something that stood out to you from this conversation today that I have shared that sort of resonated or that felt like new or that I never thought about that like that before but that makes sense I would love to hear that because it's just really lovely to hear and have conversation around these and uh, these kind of topics and I think this this part of our different the many different facets of our hungers is for me what makes this work so exciting and it's for for me what brings this work into the the, the healing realm and the self exploration and self awakening and self homecoming kind of um, journey that it might start with just wanting to eat better or having a different relationship with food, but it can open up the door for so many other things and really change our lives. And especially when we freed ourselves from thinking about food all the time, what else can we be thinking about? What else can we do with our lives when we're no longer focused on? Uh, manipulating our bodies into something they don't really want to be anyway that's enough for me today so thank you again for listening thank you for listening to joyful nourishment this podcast is produced solely by me with no financial backing and your support means a lot to keep this project going if this episode has been helpful in any way it really helps this podcast to help others if you click like, subscribe, or leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. And of course, you can also subscribe so that you won't miss any future episodes. Find out more about what I do in my private practice and what I offer over on straightforwardnutrition.com. And I am currently taking on new clients, so you will find a link to book in for a free 30-minute session in the show notes if this is something you're interested in and finally please come and join the joyful nourishment community over on substack by subscribing to my newsletter